Hey everyone, and welcome to Unison Christian Church, the podcast. We exist to change our community with the life-changing truth of Jesus, elevate a culture of love and holistic growth, and serve as a family built on hope. Our desire is that today's message helps you discover fresh new ways of connecting with God. Now, here is today's message. We uh, are starting a new sermon series today. But before we go there, I'm glad to see all of your faces, those of you who are here. Um, Yeah, we celebrate being able to be together. There's folks who are here who haven't been in the building in over a year. Glad you're here. (laughs) There's people who have never been here before. Glad you're here. Either, however you're here, we are glad, but also, too, there are still many members of our family who, for whatever reason, are in the building, still a part of the family, and we want you to know that we notice that you're not here. One of the things that's really easy to happen as we kind of open up is that we forget about all that was. And anybody that's not in our face, then they're kind of out of sight, out of mind. And that's not the case. You're part of the family. We miss you and know that regardless of the reason why you can't be here, you're still a part of the family and we love you and we miss you. And so uh, please know that we gather however we can. And so if you're, if you're watching online, oh, thank you. If you're watching online, glad that you're with us. Um, and, uh, and if you're here in the house, glad you're here too. Uh, Christine just put up the black box in the back to remind me because I'm glad I got some people who will (laughs) remind me um, that we also get to celebrate our giving of tithe and offering. And so, yeah, it is a way in which we worship our God together, but it's also a way in which we do ministry together. So you can give online, you can give via text, um, you can give on the app and all the things if you're giving via text. Text 84321, and then you'll be, uh, I think it's just give to 84321, and then you'll get prompts. Um, If you want to put something in a box, um, there is a black box on the back on the tech booth just on your way out. Give. It's a wonderful way for us to be doing ministry together. So I told you we are uh, starting a new sermon series, and honestly, this is my favorite sermon series of the whole summer. Like every, we've done this now. This is uh, the fourth time around, uh, and so we are in the You Ask For It season four. Um, if you could show that image, yes, that's where we are. You Asked For It season four uh, every, every summer. We gather sermon topics from the church fam. And so that, those come in via Facebook, email, or whatever. We have six weeks of processing um, topics that come out of us, out of our body. Like, that's the reason why it's you ask for it. Unison, ask for it. So uh, this is week one. We're covering a myriad of topics, some of which have nothing to do with one another. Uh, but that's... All right, that's a part of what it is to be family um, and for us to be growing together. Because one of the things that I truly believe about sermon this time, this message time, is you actually don't need me for a good sermon. Honestly, you, can, you got YouTube for that. 
Like there, there are countless generations of sermons recorded that will, we can walk through the scripture together and you don't need me for that. What we need each other for, what, what I get to do here is not just teach about the Bible, that's a part of it, but also gather our family around where we're going as a family, right? How is it that we get to apply scripture together as a body of believers pursuing Christ together. So yeah, you may be able to get a good sermon on YouTube by yourself and be edified and grow in Christ as a result, but this time is for us to be moving together as a family. And so that's what even all of these, you know, you ask for topics will be about. It's still us growing together. And if you're new or haven't been here before or just checking out, your family because you're here. So, <laughs> right, like Olive Garden, when you're here, you're family. So, uh, and no, we don't have bread and salad. So, <laughs> um, so you asked for it. Today's um, question um, really is one that is um, pretty intimate for me. Um, it is... What is speaking in tongues? Uh, and um, there's a number of people that are a part of our faith family who are processing that for the first time in their lives. It's not just one or two. It's a few folks. And um, it's a unique and challenging topic, um, which I like because the nerd in me likes, like, scouring over stuff and um, but the challenge isn't because Scripture isn't clear about it. The challenge is because we are. <laughs> We're unclear about it. Uh, culture and the ways in which we have allowed it to separate us is the thing that makes it challenging. So as we dive in, I already know that this comes with all kinds of baggage to the topic. It's all right. We're family. You don't get away from coming to any topic with baggage when you're in a family. So we're not going to pretend that that's not there. And uniquely so when you're a multicultural, multi-ethnic family, that baggage specifically around this topic is even more exaggerated. We're not going to pretend it's not there. We're just going to dive through it all together. And at the end, the goal is that we have one, preserved our unity of fellowship and are moving in one direction together as a family. That's the point. So we'll be in, um, the name of the, the, the sermon is called Another Tongue. Uh, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 20. And, but before we dive into Scripture, some of you know that we're a part of a denomination um, sometimes people come here and it feels like we're like a non-denom, which is cool, right? Um, I think that's a unique aspect of unison. But we are part of the Wesleyan denomination. And the Wesleyan denomination has a discipline. Um, like most denominations, it's this thick book that tells us how we do ministry and how we approach Scripture together. Uh, and the Wesleyan church has a statement that I'm going to read to you about speaking in tongues, and then we'll talk about it for a moment. So this is what it says, to preserve the fellowship and witness of the church, 
With reference to the use of languages, the Wesleyan Church believes in the miraculous use of languages and the interpretation of languages in its biblical and historical setting. But it is contrary to the Word of God to teach that speaking in an unknown tongue or the gift of tongues is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or of that entire sanctification which the baptism accomplishes. I'm going to break that down real quick. (laughs) So, what that is saying is the Wesleyan Church believes in speaking in different languages and interpretation of those different languages, but believes that it's not biblical to say that speaking in tongues is a evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, only a language readily understood by the congregation is to be used in public worship. The Wesleyan Church believes that the use of an ecstatic prayer language has no clear scriptural sanction or any pattern of established historical usage in the church. Therefore, the use of such a prayer language shall not be promoted among us. The Wesleyan Church Discipline, 2016. That's section 250, colon 10. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not, I didn't grow up in the Wesleyan Church. And when I was processing being a pastor in the Wesleyan Church, I took very seriously looking at the discipline and what am I being asked to teach. And every single time they asked me, do you have any issues with the discipline, I brought this up. (laughs) I just did. I brought it up. I struggled with it, fam. I'm telling, being honest with you, I struggled with it. But, and I was honest every single time. And what I said to them was, I believe that speaking in tongues in its biblical and historical context is legit. I believe that the Holy Spirit has maintained a pattern of speaking in tongues and prayer languages. And what I will commit to is not holding Terry services. <laughs> and so for those of you who don't know what that means, it's like this, this moment after the Sunday service or a kind of midweek gathering where, where there's people who line up and they're like all trying to catch the Spirit and speak in tongues. I committed to not doing that. <laughs> but I also said quite honestly, like I can't teach that there's no historical pattern of the use of prayer language. I can't do that because that's been true over All of, since the church began, it's been true. It's not that it just showed up randomly on, you know, in an Azusa Street revival, right? And I'm not going to go through the whole history there, but it didn't just show up then. It's been present all through, and even it shows up in the New Testament, which is evidence that it's been there the whole time. But most of us who have been a part of the Wesleyan Church, who that has been our belief, have whispered in tongues to also maintain that first line to preserve the fellowship and witness of the church. Well, you should know um, that in prepping this sermon, like I had to, I, I called our regional superintendent and I was like, hey, Got people asking about speaking in tongues, and there's a history, there's a, there's a movement, there's things happening in unison, which I'll talk about in a moment, but it gives us good cause to actually preach about this, and he was telling me, like, oh, like, that's actually something that's changing within the, the Wesleyan church as a whole, um, right, which is really cool. There's a, 
And because this statement is reactionary to the division that speaking in tongues has caused, that first line is the most important part of this. The reason why this shows up in the discipline is because we see that this thing about speaking in tongues causes division, so we're not going to participate. And I am so grateful to be a part of a denomination that sees where it's misstepped and doesn't just keep going even though it sees that it's misstepped. Like, we misstepped here. We're responding in a way that actually is, doesn't align with Scripture, and we want to change that moving forward. I love that. That's, that's, what, that's what it is for us to be human. That's what it is. It's, that's for us. Like, it's okay for us to know, hey, I saw it this way because of this, but the Holy Spirit has revealed something else, and I have the humility to change the course of direction so that we glorify God by living the Bible. Man, I love that, right? So I needed to say that out loud. I want you to know that you're a part of a denomination that's dedicated to living the Bible. And even when we see that, it's, that we're not going in the right direction, we are willing to change course. And there's a bunch of us. <laughs> so let's talk about that separation. I told you I said that Azusa Street Revival, we can't start there. That was kind of this beginning of the Pentecostal movement, which I preached about a few, a uh, couple years ago, but that wasn't the beginning of this. This separation has existed, honestly, since the New Testament was being written. And so you have to, like, this has been a part of the church since the church began. The challenge to navigate what this speaking in tongues thing is. And so that separation having always been there, having always been a part of it, we can't not process that. And the reason why we can't not process that is because Jesus has really, I mean, very few requests of us as a church. Yes, we got the Great Commission, but really... I'm not, God, Jesus isn't even interested in us being perfect or big, but very much so interested in us being united. And so when there's separation or something that causes separation in the church, it behooves us as a body of Christ to look at that thing, not run away from it or avoid it, but that's the thing that has to get taken care of. In our house, if the kids are arguing about something, it's the thing that goes away. Like, you're arguing about watching the TV, y'all better figure it out or nobody's watching TV. <laughs> you know, y'all can't figure out what to do with that toy? Well, here, give it to me because I know what to do with it. Putting it up in the cabinet where you can't reach. <laughs> we have to, as a body of believers, preserve our, our unity. So let's 
also go further back to this beginning of this speaking in tongues. Many of you know that in, in Acts chapter 2 is where we first see this kind of show up on the scene. Jesus has already, already resurrected, and before he ascends into heaven, he says to the disciples and everybody that was following him, I want y'all to go into Jerusalem, wait, hang tight. I'm sending a comforter, and when I send this, you will receive power, beautiful moment of before the ascension. And the disciples are up in a room praying. And I don't know how they were praying, but something happened in the room where there was a mighty wind. And then in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. What you need to know is this Pentecost, I know we celebrate that as Pentecost as this moment where the Holy Spirit was pour, pouring out, but there were already people gathering in Jerusalem from all over the world anyway. People who were followers of God from parts of Asia and from parts of the Middle East were coming, and they all spoke different languages. And the unique thing about this moment was not just that they were all speaking different languages and it was, all, and it was cool. They were speaking different languages, and all of those people that were around coming from other countries and coming with other languages heard the gospel in their language. That was really the miracle of Pentecost is that there is no way in the world Mary and Peter and James can speak Mandarin, but all of a sudden they are, and they're speaking Mandarin about this dude named Jesus, and I understand, but nobody else here speaks my language, right? That was the real miracle happening there. That's the first time that we see that. That's not the last time. There are many more times in Acts where this very same thing, the Holy Spirit is poured out and people speak a different language. The Holy Spirit comes and people speak a different language. But there's also something else that's happening, and that's where we see in Corinthians. We're kind of fast-forwarding so we can get to our primary text. But we start to see that there's some separation in not what the work of ministry is, but how we do ministry. And so the real reason that Paul gives this list of gifts of the Spirit, it's not a rubric for us to know how we can do ministry together. It's because he's responding to division in the church. Right? When we get into chapter 12, he gives this list, and he gives all of these different gifts. But right at the end of 12, he says, do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. That's not just some random statement. Corinthians is a letter responding to some challenges that the church of Corinth is going through. And one of the challenges that they're going through is because there are people who are preaching and other people want to do that too. And there are people who are speaking in tongues and other people want to do that too. And there are people who are doing this and that and the other. And they're beginning to have this hierarchy of ministry. And that is not the way it's supposed to be. So now you have people coveting prophecy. You have people coveting speaking in tongues. 
it's okay to desire to be operating in ministry, but the whole point of operating in ministry is that we're actually doing that together. So Paul is not diminishing one or the other. He's saying they're all important. And if you're anticipating that you could want your way into some other way of participating in ministry, let me tell you, that's not how it works. The Holy Spirit gives gifts based upon what's needed in the church and based upon who you are. Walk in it, baby. Like, that's what it's kind of like, walk in it, right? Chapter 13, he continues that conversation of unity by, if you've read chapter 13 or you've heard chapter 13, you probably heard it at a wedding because he's talking all about love. And it's not romantic love. I know I just bust a whole bunch of people's bubble because that was your, that was your uh, scripture at your wedding and everybody cried because love is patient and love is kind and love doesn't boast, right? But it wasn't about you and your boo. It was about the church functioning the way it's supposed to. It was about me not being arrogant about being a pastor as I have a conversation with someone who cleans toilets but recognizing that both of us serve the body in a way that brings glory to God. And neither one of them is more important than the other. And also about people who work in children's ministry, not feeling less than the band, (laughs) right? About people who serve in hospitality, not feeling less important than Sunday school teachers or people who whatever. That's the real reason why chapter 13 was written. And 14 is where we come in together, fam. What you need to know about chapter 14 is Paul is responding to people who desire to speak in tongues because of the social clout it gives them. There are people who want to speak in tongues because that shows the world that I'm holy and I'm with God. (laughs) And Paul is responding to that. So here's the thing. Oftentimes we read chapter 14 and we read into it a bias that would say that Paul is diminishing speaking in tongues. And I actually want you to listen to what Paul is saying. Let's talk about that bias for a second, and then we'll jump into it. Some of us were raised in churches where the idea of speaking in tongues is not whatever floats your boat. Like, if that's how you get down with the Holy Ghost, whatever, I mean, cool. Like, we were raised like, that's weird. Or, I feel uncomfortable with that. Increasingly pulling ourselves away from it, all the way to the point where that's not biblical, God's not doing that anymore, and those people are a part of a cult. The truth is that there's also other sides of that too, where it's not like if, if you don't speak in tongues, I mean, that's how you get down with the Holy Ghost, that's fine. If you don't speak in tongues, I mean, I don't really know how close you're walking with them. <laughs> or... If, are you really saved if you don't speak in tongues? Two, you're not saved if you don't. That's a real thing. 
Some of us have been raised in theological context where they do not trust that you know Jesus and he knows you if you don't speak in tongues. We have to remove that bias from where we are and come to it the way that Paul was writing to the church of Corinth. That's hard for us, but I'm encouraging that that's what we do. He starts off in chapter 14, verse 1, let love be your highest goal, exclamation point. But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Mm-hmm. What? I thought you were talking about speaking in tongues. That makes sense in a second. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will be mysterious. I'm pausing for a second. There are things that we say to each other that come with assumptions in the background, right? When we say, come on in and have a seat. We assume a whole lot of things. We assume abilities, a person's ability to walk. We assume a person's ability to find a chair. We assume a person's desire to sit down. We assume a whole lot of things. And all of those things are normal per our culture. Paul assumes that speaking in tongues is a thing in their ministry, one, because that's, he's responding but also, too, he's not teaching about how good or bad one or the other. It's an assumption that it's already a part of the culture, right? So many of us read this as though either it's going to be or it's not going to be. It's an assumption that it's already there. You assume that when you come here, you're going to sing. And if you don't assume that, you haven't been watching the live feed. <laughs> like, like, that's what's going to happen here. We're going to sing. It it may go for a while, okay? (laughs) That's just how we do. Paul assumes that speaking in tongues is a part of it. Then he continues, but one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. I want to pause again, because when you read through this, it's really easy to see Paul saying one is more important than the other. Paul is responding to a cultural dynamic happening. Everybody wants to speak in tongues because that's what save Holy Ghost filled people do. But no one is actually being ministered to. So he's, what he's doing is trying to bring some balance. Not trying to say that speaking in tongues is not for something for you to do. And that's why he also gives one of the purposes for speaking in tongues in his explanation. Speaking in tongues strengthens the person who does it. Not, don't speak in tongues, you should all prophesy. No, he's saying that if everybody just wants to speak in tongues, everybody else is strengthening themselves and we're missing something in the body. Right? 
That's why he doesn't actually condemn the, the act. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying. That word unless is in there for a reason. Some of us read that and say, oh, prophecy is more important than speaking in tongues. No. In a worship gathering, when we are there to edify each other, the value of being able to pour into one another is more important than you going off in a corner and pouring into yourself. You can do that in your bedroom. <laughs> but when we're together, this is important. Unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like the fruit or the harp must play the notes clearly, or no one will recognize the melody. And if the bugler, excuse me, bugler, <laughs> doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know they are being called to battle? It's the same for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you are saying? You might as well be talking into empty space. There are many different languages in the world, and every language has meaning. But if I don't know, excuse me, if I don't understand the language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it, and the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you. Since you are so eager to have the special abilities that the Spirit gives, speak those that strengthen the whole church. I'm pausing. Because many of us are, read that. I'm pausing this often on purpose. Because this is challenging. It's challenging to us because how is it that you're saying speak in tongues, but also this idea that speaking in tongues is not as important as prophesy? It's because of what's happening in the text that I need you to wrap our hearts around. Not the text itself. That sounds weird. But what's happening there is what matters. What's happening there is people are arguing about whether or not speaking in tongues is the way in which we, we acknowledge the Holy Spirit in a person. And Paul is saying, that's cool. I like that you can speak in tongues. I actually wish all of you could. But don't miss what your fellowship is really about. If you approach the Holy Spirit selfishly, then you're not actually living based upon the fruit that shows he's even in you. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been, what has been said. There's another one of those moments where he's not condemning the act. Don't graze over that. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Did you catch that the first few times you read that? Especially when we think about that bias of people talking about how, like, praying in tongues is not a thing. <laughs> it's easy to graze over that because we want to look at Paul elevating prophecy, but he's not. He's balancing unity. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Well then, what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit, and I will also pray in words I understand. 
It's not one or the other, fam. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the Spirit, how can those who don't understand praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you are saying? That verse is what I would call the anchor verse of this whole section because he's talking about doing this together. And what he's responding to is a culture of people who have been learning how to do pursuit of Christ and walking in the Spirit by themselves. That should sound familiar to you because that's us. We learned how to have a personal relationship with Jesus. We learned how to repent and confess on our own. We learned how to open up your Bible by yourself in the morning and read. We learned to pray by yourself. But what we have not done well with, and even what Paul is talking about, is this space where we do all of this together. We get together on Sunday, but some of us, we come, we come to get our dose of Jesus on Sunday, and then we bounce, never really processing that your personal relationship with Jesus was meant to be lived out in a group of people, and it's not good enough for you to go off and go strengthen yourself by yourself, but don't miss that Paul isn't actually saying don't do it. I want you to speak in tongues because I want you to be strengthened. I want you to pray in the Spirit. I want you to do that, and I want you to be united. Last two verses, but in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. I showed you this kind of separation and this drifting. Most of us I won't say most, but many of us have learned to see that separation and this side being biblically accurate. Let's just be real. The side that says that, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit isn't working that way anymore, because here's the truth. Most of the people on this side saying the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way anymore went to seminary. Let's just be real. It's okay. It's all right. They got degrees on this side saying the Holy Spirit isn't working that way anymore. There are like whole faculty dedicated to like debunking spiritual, you know, like the the, uh, speaking in tongues. And most people on this side, to be truthful, haven't gone to seminary. And in many cases, don't even have the value of seminary not to say don't desire it, but don't have a value of understanding what it is, and it's because of this separation. It's because of emotional baggage that we've separated those two. And that's what Paul is really talking about. 
That's what Paul is really getting at when he's talking about this separation. It's that you preserve your unity not by ignoring one or the other, but that you sit in the room until y'all figure out how to do both. That's the real challenge that we have as believers is that there's a group of people, and I'm going to be honest with you, that's most of the world. I know some people don't, like you don't, you're not like me. You don't get on Google and see how, where, which direction the church is going in terms of Pentecostalism or anything else. Like you don't Google those things, but I do. <laughs> most of the world speaks in tongues. I didn't do it. Google said it. <laughs> and increasingly so. You know that there are Catholics that speak in tongues? And some of y'all are like, what? <laughs> yeah, in Chicago. <laughs> the great Pentecostal Catholic church down there. Some of you are like, that don't even make sense. <laughs> Those individuals who have seminary degrees where the gift of speaking in tongues has been taught out of them are in the minority church-wide. But because of our cultural value of education, we pretend that they're the majority. And I'm here to tell you that it is unbiblical to believe that speaking in tongues is not a thing. It's unbiblical. Because all throughout the New Testament, even we're reading this interesting text where it like puts these two things against one another, they're not actually against one another. He's just trying to create balance. And I need us to see that because that's what we need to do. We need to create balance. In our fellowship, in the fellowship of the body of believers as a whole, I didn't say that most of the world speaks in tongues, so everybody goes figure out how to speak in tongues now. I'm telling you because I need to create balance in a world that keeps telling us that that's not a thing. I was, we were, I was prepping for this sermon series, and on Facebook, literally, there was a question from, like, I think it was, uh, uh, Bible, I can't remember what, what website, but they've been like putting out all these random questions about theology. And one of them was, what is speaking in tongues? I'm like, huh, get out of my conversations, Facebook. I don't want you to know me like that. <laughs> and in the comments, comment after comment, speaking in tongues is not a thing. The Holy Spirit isn't doing that anymore. Speaking in tongues is not biblical. Speaking like, like comment after comment after comment after comment. And I, for those of us, and that's the world that we were raised in, I want you to know that we were taught incorrectly there. We just were. And for those of us who were taught that speaking in tongues is the only way, that, that's, like, that's how you assure that you're saved, you were taught wrong. It's okay. We were taught wrong. That doesn't mean that our salvation is in jeopardy. But that does mean that once the Holy Spirit has revealed truth to us, that we must align with truth. And here's the truth. Speaking in tongues is a part of 
the way in which the Holy Spirit ministers in the church setting and in a person's individual personal walk with Christ. And so let's talk about some of those purposes. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that it strengthens the speaker. Right? That's what he was talking about when he says, like, when you speak in tongues, it's only really strengthening you. It's okay for us to know that it's mysterious how that works. It's okay. That's actually one of the challenges here as a part of why people have drifted so far is because if I can't explain how it happens, then it must not be true. That's pride on our part. That's arrogance on our part. And absolutely, it takes some humility and some surrender to the wisdom of the Spirit of God to say that I don't understand exactly how that happens, but I believe when Scripture says that it strengthens me. And when I believe and I speak in tongues and I pray in tongues and I come out feeling better than I did when I went in, that's evidence enough. That's evidence enough. I was um, here. So I have this pattern of, um, I call it time alone with God. I'm, I've done a couple of days alone with God where I kind of get away from everything and everybody, and it's just me and the Holy Spirit, and I read a long portion of Scripture and pray. But I can't do that all the time. So quarterly, I have about four hours, turn my cell phone on airplane mode, I read a book of the Bible, and then I pray. And there was one moment where I was praying specifically about my physical health. And, um, and I'm pacing around um, my office, because if you didn't know this, okay, this isn't found anywhere in Scripture, okay? I'm giving you the heads up now. But pacing and praying is the way to pray, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> if you're not pacing, I don't know what you're doing. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay, that's not for real, okay? <laughs> but when I pray, I pace. <laughs> and there was a moment where I was praying for my health, and I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to grab my stomach and pray in tongues. And so I did, 10, 15 minutes. And the truth is, afterwards, I did not feel anything better or different. But actually, over the next few months, I've ex I experienced the most physical health that I have experienced in my adult life. Amen. Losing weight, having clarity of mind, being able to have more physical fitness than I ever have during COVID. <laughs> do I attribute that to that prayer? Yep, I do. Did I also have to exercise? Yeah, I did. But let me tell you what, I didn't actually have the motivation to do that before I prayed. I just didn't. And I fully believed that the Holy Spirit was doing something inside of me not to shed weight off of me in my office, but to strengthen my inside to make me want to actually care for God's temple better. Right? Signed to unbelievers, that's really what was happening in Acts. 
But this actually does, that didn't just only happen in Acts. This is still happening where people are in a gathering and there's someone who doesn't, it was an unbeliever, someone starts speaking in a language that is not known to them and then that person knows that language that was an unbeliever and they're like, yo, I just know what he said, but I don't know how I know what he said. That's, Lily and I were talking this week um, about this and that, and she shared a story about that, but then also, too, I've heard that over and over again, especially from missionaries. Some of us don't understand speaking in tongues, and it's not just because we had a theology that taught us differently. It's just also, too, it's just we only have a West Michigan experience, right? So people have drawn us away from it, and the only way we see God is through the, through the lens of <laughs> West Michigan. God is working all over the planet. And it is a prayer language. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1, but then also Romans 8, 26, that idea of the Holy Spirit interceding for us when we don't know what to pray, He prays for us. That's what that is. Also, people call that an ecstatic prayer language. What does all of that mean for unison? I want you to see this fence. I have believed for a very long time since the, really the beginning of unison, it's not just my cultural background, but I have believed for a very long time that this is a part of the culture of unison. I've actually had dreams about it, which you can ask Christine. I don't have dreams that mean much. <laughs> like, I remember when, I, when, I, when our oldest son was being born, before he was born, we knew he was a boy, but I dreamed that he came out as a girl that was like two inches long. And, like, and I was changing his diaper, changing her diaper with gauze. My dreams don't mean much. <laughs> but there are times when the Holy Spirit is working something inside of me, and it actually does mean something. And I remember some years ago being woken up in my dream because we were having a whole, like, incredible moment of praise and surrender and that was the year where I told you guys about corporate vulnerability. Some of you would remember those words because we were here in this building. And I said that I feel like the Holy Spirit is directing us to be in a space where we have corporate vulnerability, where we're able to cry in front of one another as we are worshiping and surrendering to the Lord, where we're able to confess in a space where we are safe, and know that that's not going to mean that now I get looked at crazy. But we're able to be vulnerable with one another. This fence. I feel like at the beginning of unison, the Holy Spirit had our flock <laughs> in this fence. And there's two ways you can look at fences. You can look at a fence as something that it's trying to keep something out. Or you can look at it as trying to keep something safe. And in this particular analogy, it's to keep something safe. I feel like the Holy Spirit had a fence around how deeply we plunged into the mysteries of God. Not because it wasn't good. But if we're going to go there and be a multi-ethnic, multicultural family, we actually have to have some trust with one another. 
we have to actually have some vulnerability with one another. We can't just come in and it be as full and as open as it will be because, honestly, you position yourself at that point when there's a lack of relational connectedness for the dangers of separation to be more your reality. It just is what it is. We come in and there's people prophesying and speaking in tongues and all of the things that I honestly believe where unison is going, day one. And we got people with Lutheran backgrounds, day one, <laughs> looking like, what is happening in here? I don't want nothing to do with that. <laughs> it wasn't about us being big, but it was about us being one. Right? It wasn't about us just being big and preserving a, a, a certain attendance, but it is about us being one. And so the Holy Spirit had the fence small, but just like a loving parent is stretching that fence out. Stretching that fence out year after year, stretching as we mature in our fellowship, pushing the boundary, not because it's bad out there, but actually because it's good out there, and we just weren't in a space where we were ready to do that as a family, but we are. Some of us will be afraid to go on to the edge of the fence because before I couldn't go over there. <laughs> and that's okay. I want you to know that you're still a part of the family. You're good. I want you to know that it has, like I have, I, I told Lily this, like, there was a part of me that, like, let's just go, God. Let's just do it. And he showed me, like, nope, that would be you pushing the sheep over the fence. <laughs> nope. Wait. Be patient. I'm going to be the one that pushes this fence out. I told you guys a few weeks ago that if we were to put a name to this, Right now, we're in this space of what I would call moderate charismatic. <laughs> Not because it needs a name, but so that we have a healthy expectation. And that the healthy expectation is that all of us are hospitably uncomfortable. Because that's actually where vulnerability is. If we're all just pushing toward being comfortable in my own way of seeing this, then none of us are vulnerable, none of us actually get stretched, and none of us grow. And our unity is completely at risk. But the Holy Spirit is like, mm, I'm stretching this fence out a little bit. And the cool thing is it's not actually been with people who've been doing this their whole life. God is awakening these gifts and these things in people who that was not a part of their history. <laughs> and they were actually taught against it. And it's a challenge, but it's stretching for them and stretching for people who have already known it because we need to figure out how to do this together. And that's what unity looks like. It's not that we just go for what feels good to us. It's that we figure out how to be challenged together. We have a resident expert <laughs> that feels weird saying that. And it's not to glorify this person at all. It's just to say like, yo, when you have a strength in the body, it's good to know where that strength is. I have a resident expert. 
honestly, when I knew I was preaching about this, I knew I needed to ask Lily to help me. I just did. So I sent her a text like, hey, actually, I think we were talking and I was like, I need you to do some digging and some processing and I want to get together because we're preaching about speaking in tongues. And so she did. And one of the things she said in our meeting, like, it has, like, been haunting me. <laughs> Is that when you are handed a gift, it's not going to open itself. Like, ah! <laughs> it's not going to open itself. This is a thing that actually requires faith of us. Just like every other part of our relationship with God. It requires faith of us. And that is a challenge. This is a gift to the church and to the believer. But we do actually engage in receiving that gift. She also said, God's not going to move your tongue for you. He meets you at your mouth. I was like, yeah. Like, <laughs> for some of us, that's foreign, trying to figure out exactly what that means. And that's okay. It stretches all of us because it requires some patience and some willingness to be stretched. But when she said that, I remembered when I was in a line at 12 years old in the basement of the church. And they had me clapping and just saying Jesus over and over again. And I knew why in moment she said it. It's because I needed to have, I just needed to move my mouth. I needed to seek God for and receive the gift and just move my mouth. They didn't explain it the way she did, and I wish she was there. <laughs> but that was the point. There are some hindrances to receiving this gift. Ego and pride are not the same thing. Ego is this idea that I'm not willing to make myself look foolish. And real talk, there are some things that we receive from the Holy Spirit that quite honestly make us look like fools. Paul talks about that too. He uses the foolish things to confound the wise. That's in the Bible. For some of us, we were taught that this is foolish, and so I don't want anything to do with it. Our egos cause us to miss out. Pride is this idea that I don't need anything or anyone else. Fear. I've been recently painting the picture that fear puts faith in the corner and chokes it out. <laughs> I'm afraid of what's going to happen because I don't know what to expect. So I'm not willing to put myself in that situation. And the truth is my logic also throws, throws me off. Here's the thing. For those of us who I found security in my ability to process information, when I can build up an expectation and it happened the same way every time, or when I can predict what's going to happen, I feel good and that's great. That means I'm walking with the Spirit. Everything else is not God. That's on this side. 
And we may not like admitting it, but that actually is what keeps us from being able to move in a space of vulnerability and intimacy with God that gets us beyond ourselves. So one of the things about, and we're almost done. I told Christine she needed to pray that I preach short today. <laughs> this is big. <laughs> one of the things about that first time when the Holy Spirit came and they were speaking in different languages is they had no expectation other than the Holy Spirit was coming. They had no expectation. And one of the things that is really difficult for us to come to this with is without an expectation. Some of us expect that the way that my mom was speaking in tongues, that's what I'm going to do too. Or the way that this person got it, or the way that this happens, or it's not going to happen at all. Or we come with so much expectation and so much baggage that the truth is that the only way that we can really enter into that is that we empty that. So some things to reflect on. Speaking in tongues is not a fruit of the Spirit. I told y'all a few weeks ago that long-suffering is not a gift. <laughs> Speaking in tongues is not a fruit. It's a gift. While it is not something to work to grow, it must be humbly received in faith, like all other gifts. All other gifts. This isn't any more unique than the ability to preach. You can't come to that with arrogance. You can't come to leadership with arrogance. That's how you mess people up. You can't come to receiving this gift with arrogance because that's how people get messed up. And the last thing the Holy Spirit woke me up with this this week is to be desired but not coveted because that's actually what leads to disunity. It's okay for us to desire this. It's not okay for us to covet it. The difference is our motivation for desiring it and the extent to which we're willing to get it. <laughs> this is not something that is going to be just understood in a sermon. I'll tell you one more story and then we'll leave. My dad never spoke in tongues as, uh, as a teen. He was walking with the Lord for a while. Never spoke in tongues. And, um, but grew up in a church where that was the norm. And just believed that his whole life that that was just, like, yo, it's not going to happen. It's like, it's not a thing. And he was cool with it. One morning, woke up, and after was praying, he was in his 40s, walked in front of his truck to go to work, and randomly started speaking in tongues. <laughs> Miss Gloria was like, what? Like, it was random. Here's what I'm saying. Some of us, it's okay for us to know that this is not actually how the, the Lord is going to work in or through me. It's okay. That's all right. Why? Because it ain't about us all having the same thing. But some of us, our whole lives have believed that it's not a thing or it's not going to happen, and we are taking ourselves out of it. And I want you to not take yourself out. I want you to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit is going to do, 
and not take yourself out or try to throw yourself in. Just allow the Holy Spirit to come. So whether that happens to you here or in front of your car before you go to work or in the basement, (laughs) doesn't matter or not at all that we are able to preserve our unity by seeking the power of the Holy Spirit, not seeking a particular gift. I want to pray and then we'll bounce. Father, this is sticky stuff. But it's not because you are hiding anything from us. Give us grace and wisdom to lay aside all the things that would make this an idol in our lives. Give us grace and wisdom to lay aside all the things that would have us pit this thing against one another. Give us grace and wisdom to live in love, to live in unity, and that these gifts that you give would not cause us to create hierarchy, but would cause us to seek unity in our body. Holy Spirit, you are, you know all things. The things that are inside of me that were taught, that were just incorrect, a lack of understanding from those who taught me, reveal your truth. I trust you. The things that are stirring inside of some of us now, reveal what you're doing now. And give us grace to trust you more and more each and every day, God. I do pray for where we're going as a church family. Not that we're caught up in feelings and not that we're caught up in just all kinds of feel-good moments, but that we are united as a family. And that as we seek to glorify you more and more in our unity and more and more that the ways in which, God, you blow our minds in mysterious things, we are also able to enjoy as a family. And so, God, we surrender. Surprise us. Keep pushing the fence back and giving us grace to live as your body. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and believe others could benefit from hearing about us, please remember to share and subscribe to Unison Christian Church wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also catch us live at unisongr.com or on Facebook. See you next week.